It's a smoky day in New York, and that means there's definitely a fire raging in Jack Smith's various grand jury criminal investigations of Donald Trump. All signs point to a Mar-a-Lago indictment of Trump as early as this week and certainly this month. A Jack Smith actual-to-God Bigfoot-like sighting wearing suit and tie carrying a briefcase on his way to a meeting with Trump's Mar-a-Lago defense team. Note he's much bigger in person, and things are much larger than they appear in Trump's rearview mirror. The Trump defense team has been told by the Department of Justice that their client is officially a target, the last step before indictment, and they had not one but two meetings with the Department of Justice officials, with reporting today that Mark Meadows has cut a deal either to plead and testify against Trump or to get full immunity and testify against Trump. Either way, there's one person who could put the football into the end zone for all four grand juries against Trump, and that's his chief of staff and White House fireplace document arsonist. Mark, I voted in two districts at the same time, Meadows. And at the same time, a suspicious pool flood into Mar-a-Lago's server room has the DOG thinking obstruction and evidence destruction. And we have new reporting that there's not one, but two Mar-a-Lago grand juries, including one in Florida that's taking witness testimony from Florida-based Trump aides, while twice indicted Steve Bannon is called to testify testify before the Gen 6 grand jury in D.C. Then we head south down the corridor to Georgia, where not to be outdone by the feds, Fulton County's own Fonnie Willis readies her racketeering uh, case against Trump and maybe a cooperating Meadows there too, and other unindicted and indicted co-conspirators with her that she's going to bring into her web, including other battleground states where Trump coordinated his effort to steal the election. All this and more on the midweek edition of Legal AF, only on the Midas Touch Network, with your hosts and practicing attorneys, Michael Popak and Karen friedman Agnifilo. And I'm so pleased to have these history-changing legal and political events fall to us, Karen, to cover and analyze on today's show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's very, as you said, smoky here in New York. It's shocking, actually, how incredibly uh, smoky it is and how, you know, how dark the skies are and it smells like smoke and it's hard to breathe. Those are those are actual pictures uh, taken by by my family members that that we're looking mm. at right now, but because it's really it's really hard to breathe and leave that leave that one up, salty. That's a, that's a time lapse photo of the skyline in New York, starting from this morning until late in the afternoon because of the wildfires in Canada that are just sitting over large portions of America and impacting our listeners and followers. But we're gonna get through it just like we get through ev- everything. And uh, you know, it's a it's a terrible sign for Donald Trump that the world is on fire because his world is on fire. And we're gonna jump in right now and talk about wow, just the build this week of Mar-a-Lago new information. You know, it it started with uh, you know, let's uh, there's some audio tapes of uh, Evan Corcoran, the lawyer, and there's some notes that are really interesting and. And uh, some other testimony about a flood that went into the server room, maybe some missing videotape and some cooperating local witnesses like maintenance workers. And then it became, uh, wait a minute, we might have a Meadows uh, either, and I want to get your view as a former prosecutor, either Meadows is testifying as a cooperating witness and he's gotten a deal to give himself full immunity or partial immunity and he's, and he's, and he's pleading guilty. I'm not sure about that one. But either way, If Mark Meadows, who's the only person I believe that can put a stake through the heart of Donald Trump in at least four grand juries by himself as the icing on the cake, I want to hear your view. If you think if if based on that reporting that's coming out of The Independent and now The Guardian, if that's true, I want to get your view of whether you think he got a free pass completely in order to bring it home in all four grand juries or... Uh, Jack Smith held out and said, now you got to plead guilty to something and then I'll give you a a lighter sentence or cooperation uh, credit. What do you think on Meadows? Do you think Meadows is is, uh, assuming he's testifying and has testified that he's done so pursuant to what kind of deal, what shape of the deal do you think it is? 
Look, it's it's hard to know precisely, and and I'll get to I'll answer your question in a second. Just the frenzy of information, though, that's coming out, and the conflicting information. Something's definitely happening. It reminds me of right before uh, Alvin Bragg indicted uh, Donald Trump in Manhattan. If you remember, everyone's like, "Oh my God, the grand jury it meets on these days and those days, and it's going on hiatus, and they're not going to meet for three weeks." And you know, they, it turned out to be wrong. And and but but the point was. There was such a frenzy of information that people were reading tea leaves and guessing. And then two people would guess the same thing. And then now they've heard it twice from somebody else. And now it gets repeated, repeated and repeated. So it must be true. And I worry that there's a little bit of that going on here. Clearly, something is happening. It's getting out. And I think the reason a lot of information is getting out is because defense attorneys are calling each other when their client gets called to the grand jury and says, what do you know? What's going in? Who's saying what? And so everybody's talking and telling each other what kind of questions are being asked and what they're looking at. And of course, that's when information gets out. And so so there is some information that we can glean, I think, from the reading the tea leaves, as they say. And, and with Meadows, I mean, his lawyer specifically came out and said he didn't end a plea of guilty. So I don't know that a lawyer would say that if that were true, right? He said he didn't enter any guilty plea. So the other alternative, and, and if he had entered a guilty plea, then we would think he was he was uh, going to be testifying under what we would say, a what's called a cooperation agreement. And a cooperation agreement means that you agree to cooperate with the prosecutor, you sign a document, you have to, in federal... The fed, in the feds, you have to admit everything you've ever done. They don't just take some admissions and not others. You have to admit absolutely everything. You have to be truthful. And uh, and like I said, you plead guilty in, in exchange for a cooperation. Well, his lawyer came out and, and was emphatic that he did not enter a plea of guilty. So what are the other possibilities, right? The other possibilities are that he was given immunity and the reason I think it's likely that he was given immunity, and it could be full immunity, like transactional immunity is full immunity, meaning you will not be prosecuted at all for this case. Or he could be given qualified immunity, which means we won't use any statements that you have given or anything derived from those statements. They call that use and fruits immunity. And so I because if he wasn't given immunity, he would take the fifth, right? He would go in and say, I have criminal exposure. I'm going to take the fifth because I'm sure you and Ben, you know, who, who know these facts cold can recite all the crimes that he either participated in, committed himself, or or uh, conspired with others to commit, especially uh, surrounding January 6th. But he was he is such a critical witness for Jack Smith. He is the person who was the gatekeeper on January 6th, who, you know, Ivanka came in that day and said, uh, you know, he's the one who got Ivanka down, you know, and to talk to Trump. And, you know, he's the guy who, who everybody was, you know, was trying to, um, Cassidy Hutchinson was trying to get him to talk to Trump. Everybody was going to him and he was just saying, you know, he doesn't want to do anything. He, you know, Trump doesn't want to do anything. He's not going to stop it. You know, he, he had the direct line to Trump on January 6th. So that's a critical witness. That's the almost the linchpin witness, I think, of, of the case, the final, the final one. So that's so significant that I think Jack Smith, that testimony is so significant that I think Jack Smith would give him uh, immunity for that testimony. But so I, I think that's the likely thing that has happened here. And, and of course, his lawyer didn't address that in the statement that Salty just put up, right? He says, no, he didn't plead guilty. But he, you know, he says that's complete BS, but he didn't address the matter of immunity, right? So, you know, what he didn't say to me says as much as, as what he did say. Well, let's talk about George Terwilliger, because of all the, all the Jan 6th defendants, of which Meadows is one, or potential targets in multiple prosecutions, because Mark Meadows, of course, is also in the crosshairs of Fonnie Willis down you know, in Georgia for Fulton County for his interference with the Georgia election. We'll put a pin in that for a minute, because if he got an immunity deal here, Fonnie Willis may, may well consider giving him an immunity deal there, because he'd be a very compelling witness to, to, um, to dump on Trump. And to win the case, not just dump on Trump. It's not just a witness. If Mark Meadows flips, and every sign today indicates that he has, um, then um, 
Donald, the likelihood of a Donald Trump, not just indictment, but conviction has gone up exponentially, in my view, in almost every of the grand juries that's investigating Donald Trump from Jan 6th to the grift, to the interference, to the buying of of testimony, to Mar-a-Lago because of uh, the presence of Mark Meadows at the beginning, at the beginning of the discussions with the National Archive, although, and then out, out the door to Mar-a-Lago. And if I'm the prosecutor, even though we'd all love to see Mark Meadows strung up by his toenails, if I had a choice and I'm trying to guarantee in my own view the maximum presentation of evidence I can possibly have against Donald Trump in four and run the table in four or more grand juries with one giant Bigfoot witness, I'm willing to give him an immunity deal in order to, to get Donald Trump. Now, to explain to everybody how this works, the prosecutors don't have to guess about what Mark Meadows has to say. They don't even have to wait to see what he's going to do in the grand jury. Well before that, and I've done this on the defense side, there is a what's called a proffer. Usually starts as an attorney proffer where the attorney says to the, you know, lays out this is what my client's testimony will be to help you in these various areas. And the government says, uh-huh. And then they bring in the witness, if they like what they've heard from the hypothetical proffer from the attorney, they bring the the, the actual person in and under oath on an on-the-record statement, he gives or she gives testimony to the government in advance. And they do it one by one. Let's talk about Jan 6 election interference. Let's talk about the fake electors. Let's talk about um, the uh, the Mar-a-Lago and the documents on the way out the door. Let's talk about Georgia, because that even Georgia is part of Jack Smith's ambit and Georgia election interference. Um, let's talk about all of these things. And what's your testimony about it? What, what can you give the government as we're considering either indicting you or giving you full immunity? The more you give us, the more likely they are the needle moves towards full immunity, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's like a gauge in your car. Right. If he gives a little, they're like, no, that's not great. We have that from other witnesses. Um, you know, maybe we'll we'll go easier on you on sentencing. And he goes, no, wait, I got more. They go, what do you got? More and more and more and more. So this is not shadow boxing. By the time the government reaches the point where they cut a deal, that information has already been extracted from the witness like Mark Meadows. So they know what they have in Mark Meadows, and they know how far he's willing to go to avoid jail time. At the end of the day, he, Mark Meadows ends up in the trust in the in the trash bin of history. You know his his career is over. His life is over. He'll write a book. Somebody will read it. But what we all want is Donald Trump brought to justice. And if you have to sacrifice one or two people in order to get him, it's something that I'm willing to do. I know it's not terribly a popular position. There's other there's other pro- former prosecutors that are out there, Karen, that have said no. It'd be a terrible deal to give to give immunity to him. No, I don't think so. If if it helps in Jack Smith's mind, it helps, I don't want to say guarantee, but if it helps make the case against Donald Trump with Mark Meadows coming through the back door of that courthouse, I'd make that deal. Would you make that deal? You know, it's hard to say um, because I don't know what Jack Smith has and what he doesn't have. And, you know, look, there have been some deals made in the past with people, whether it's immunity or cooperation. You know, the, one of the most famous ones that people like to talk about is Sammy the Bull, who, you know, Gravano in the Mott to get, um, I don't even know who it was to get, but to get the head of whatever crime family it was. Um, you know, they gave him, I think, five years for committing, you know, dozens of murders. And and that's just kind of the way prosecutors do things. Sometimes you have to flip or give immunity to or, or give deals to people to get the bigger fish. And with someone like Donald Trump, I think you don't want to leave any stone unturned. You want to, that's why these investigations take so long. You want to talk to every single person, see what they have to say and get every single document and every single text message and email and and whatever it is, video, whatever exists, you're going to get it. You're going to look at it and you are going to do a just deep, deep, deep dive. You're going to talk to every single person. And if you, if it's like a puzzle that you're putting together that you're building and you're building a picture and Mark Meadows on January 6th is key. So I think given that I probably would make 
a deal with him, uh, just given where he was. I, I don't know if I'd give him immunity unless that was the only thing available. I'd probably want him to cooperate um, and and make him at least plead guilty. But again, we don't know. We are literally just just um, gleaming from from the drips and drabs of information that come out. You know, you, go ahead. No, 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 I don't want to interrupt you. No, because you, you mentioned something that I just wanted to follow up on. You said, would Fonnie Willis give him immunity? And I just wanted to follow up on that because I'm thinking out loud, and I might be wrong, but I want to talk this through with you, uh, that in a prosecution, if there's a state and a federal prosecution of the same thing, the feds can jeopardy out the state, meaning if the federal government goes first and prosecutes somebody double jeopardy attaches meaning that you cannot be double jeopardy is a concept in the law that says you can't be prosecuted for the same thing twice and feds the federal government jeopardies out or trumps the the state and um but the state can't jeopardy out the federal government it's very interesting uh um, the way it is and i wonder whether if you if, if jack smith since it's federal if he immunizes Mark Meadows for all of the crimes that we're talking about here, whether that would apply in Georgia. And the reason I don't know is because New York state double jeopardy law is what does this, you know, the feds trump New York state in New York. It's a New York state thing. I don't know if the same thing applies in Georgia, but if it does, I think it will be, uh, he will then have received double, double jeopardy for Georgia at, or immunity for Georgia as well. Yeah, you may be right. And that's the competition and a little bit of the competitive turf war between Jack Smith and Fonnie Willis. Fonnie Willis now, and we'll talk about her in the next segment, expanding her investigation to include at least five battleground states in addition to Georgia. And I think that's another reason that Jack Smith, although I think he was also done with Mar-a-Lago, wants to get out of the shoot first and indict. And if he gets it, Mark Meadows. I mean, there is no, I mean, other than one of the kids, <laughs> there is no more compelling witness that would have more impact on a jury against Donald Trump than Mark Meadows. Putting aside like if Pence, if Pence is doing a good job on the campaign trail going after Trump, but he, he seemed, and I don't know what he did in the grand jury because it's all that, that part was secret. And whether Jack Smith brings him through the door during a trial against his former boss, but Mark Meadows, if you're coming up in a lab with a dream witness who knows where everything is buried, knows knows uh, Donald Trump's deep, deepest, darkest secrets, and was involved with everything. I mean, he was like the Zelig, right? He was like the, the, the Forrest Gump of Donald Trump. He was in every major event. You look in the back, there's Mark Meadows. And and the reason they can get him is he has his own liability and criminal uh, uh, criminal exposure because of all the bad things that he did and people that have the things that Jan 6 committee laid out, you know, the burning of documents in his office that belonged to the American people, presidential records and the like, you know, his his role in the interference and in the fake electors in in and almost deposing the attorney general at the time and bringing in another attorney general. I mean, everything ran through you know, he he played that chief of staff role to the hilt. He was the chief of staff for everything in criminality world related to Donald Trump. But so listen, we're going to know more as the week goes on. The reason I'm leaning towards, I think that this was an immunity deal complete is because who his lawyer is. And there's a lot of reporting on it. And frankly, if I had focused on who his lawyer was earlier and I hadn't, I would have I would have thought he's got the best lawyer of any of these Jan 6 defendants out there, George Terwilliger. George Terwilliger, a, a, a Bush, uh, a father Bush, the original Bush, not W, appointee, a deputy attorney general, really well respected. If anybody's able to negotiate a way to run his client through the rain and not get wet, it's George. And so he's the one that we had to quote up about the bullshit because, because that's not great, you know, his his mastery in this world and his respect at the Department of Justice is uh is pretty great and if he, if anybody could cut a deal like this it would be george um but the, you know that's not the only reporting we have it sort of sucked the oxygen out of the room today along with the smoky fires but the uh the other big story uh equally next to it is we have our first appearance of jack smith because he had to go meet with after they were told that donald donald trump their client is a target they then met with um 
the the defense lawyers for the Mar-a-Lago side of the case, which is um, which is Jim Trusty, um, uh, Lin- Lindsay. Uh, what's her name? It just it just flew out of my head. I did a hot take on her, no less. Uh, uh, and John Rowley met with not just Merrick, Merrick Garland's team, not Merrick Garland himself, not Lisa Monaco, but a couple of layers down to complain about Jack Smith. But they also met with Jack Smith. And that's right after we now have reporting that they, they were told that, that he is definitely a criminal target of the uh, investigation, meaning that the prosecutor is close to is closer has made his charging decision. What did you make of the timing of that? Is that just the last come on in, make your presentation, give me your white paper? What do you want to tell me just before indictment this week or next week? How did you read the granting of the audience to the Trump lawyers? I mean, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's that's you that's that's what happens at the end, right? You know, that's that's where you are at the very end of your investigation. And and clearly Trump has been told he's a target. And that's why I think one of the reasons he and his lawyers or his lawyers said, can we make a pitch to you? Um, you know, and you don't, you don't tell someone like Trump that you're a target until you've done your, your you've really finished your investigation or done most of your investigation. Uh, um, and so I think that that happened recently. And, uh, and the lawyers asked to come in to, to make a pitch and to see if they can, is there, if there's anything they can do. Um, sometimes lawyers who know that there's nothing that they can do, they know that, that no matter what they say, nothing's going to happen. You still go in and you make your pitch for a couple of reasons. Number one, you, you have to tell your client that you tried, right? And, and you want to make that effort. But the other reason is you're hoping the prosecutors will say something to you. You're hoping they'll ask you questions or hoping they'll slip little bits of information that you'll get to find out. And I'm sure you'll, and, and in cases, you know, and that that's that's a lot of information that's that's gold for a defense attorney, right? Because otherwise, everything's happening in secret and happening in the dark, and so they're hoping to get information and. You know, perhaps they could even be discussing, um, you know, surrender, and you know, there's all sorts of things that could happen there. So, so I, I think it all all roads are leading towards they're at the end. We, we know they're at the end. Um, as everyone has widely reported that Washington, D.C., um, the Washington, D.C. grand jury has, you know, stopped meeting essentially, and they're going uh, into Florida. And, you know, that's, you know, there, there's two there's two grand juries going on right now on Mar-a-Lago. That's what's been widely reported. And I think we should do a deep dive into that. But first, we're going to take a break and hear from one of our sponsors. Oh, you're going to love this one. Green Chef has expanded their menu. Now choose from over 50 weekly menu and market items with the option to mix and match meals in the same box without changing your plan. Get everything you need at Green Market, your one-stop shop for quick breakfasts, brunch kits, wholesome lunches, and more you can easily add onto your weekly order. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with meals that work for you, not the other way around. Celebrate summer with seasonal recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. Green Chef is the only meal kit that has both carbon and plastic offset. Green Chef offsets 100% of their delivery admissions to your door, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. Bring more flavor to your table this summer with Green Chef's delicious, nutritionist-approved recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables and unique farm-fresh ingredients like tart cherries, truffle zest, and rainbow carrots. My absolute favorite, spicy chicken and broccoli stir fry. Delicious. Go to greenchef.com slash legalaf60 and use code legalaf60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash legalaf60 and use code legalaf60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Karen, you like Green Chef. I do actually. I know you do. Yeah, (laughs) you did. And you did an ad. We'll run that ad. 
you know, that's the, coming that's, up. The Green Chef is, it's, it's what I like about it. First of all, the food is really good. But second of all, mm-hmm. it takes all the guesswork out of what should I make for dinner tonight? I, I, and yeah. there's no waste. I, I, and I sound, you know, like I've drank the Kool-Aid a little bit, but I kind of have. Like, I, I actually really like it and the food's good. So What's in the box? All right, let's <laughs> let's go back to Mar-a-Lago, Florida. We learned that there were two, not one. It's like learning. It's like learning one day there are two Earths that are orbiting each other, or two Indias. If you're a Succession fan, we learned there's two Mar-a-Lago grand juries, and we'll talk about why there are. I don't have Karen pick it up now. Karen, what you learn? What did, what do you take away from the dis, from the disclosure revelation that there is a second grand jury looking at all things Mar-a-Lago for Florida people and Florida events? And and, wh- and where do you think that where do you think that leaves the overall? You know, a lot of people are asking. Does that mean Donald Trump's going to be indicted twice by two different grand juries? Why don't you explain why there's a grand jury somewhere else looking at similar things, and where do you think that goes from here? So again, with the caveat that we don't know, right? Because grand juries are secret. I'll I'll tell you what my opinion is and what I think is happening. Uh, so there's there's something called venue in the law, and and you, you, there's it's not to be confused with the word with jurisdiction, which is different than venue. Jurisdiction means does a particular prosecutor or court or a particular entity have jurisdiction to prosecute you for a crime? And it happens in a certain state and and whatever, you know, that's, that's jurisdiction. Venue means where does it happen? So where in New York, for example, would you prosecute someone, you know, can you prosecute someone in Brooklyn if they did something in Manhattan, right? It's, so venue is, is the location of, of, where uh, where a crime is prosecuted. And in the federal government, it's more complicated because the federal government encompasses the whole United States. Uh, and so they have jurisdiction over all crimes, all federal crimes committed in the United States. Um, the question though is where do you bring those crimes? And, you know, venue is a tricky one because the Southern District of New York will bring cases of, um, Financial crimes, for example, of, of people who, a, a Swiss banker in Switzerland who's never even been to New York can be prosecuted because, you know, the money that, that they used, the money goes through New York City in US dollars underneath in the wires and back. And, you know, so you can, you can really do a creative venue when you, um, bring a case. But really when you're arguing about venue, when it happens in, largely in two, you know, a lot in one place and a little in another place, you know, that will cause lots of motion practice by the defense, especially someone as litigious as Donald Trump. So when you look at the Mar-a-Lago case, right, he was in Washington and in DC, and he possessed all of the classified documents in Washington, DC. And he was permitted to possess them when he was in Washington, DC, because he was president, right? So, and and he, and I think the evidence is also showing that he moved to Florida, or he was in Florida, he moved all the stuff while he was still president. And so again, at that time, he still was lawfully able to possess that. So when did the crime, uh, the, the crime occur for possessing the these national security documents or these classified documents. And really substantially the crime has occurred in Florida. The, the possessing of them, the, um, the obstruction of justice, the not turning it over when, um, when, when the Department of Justice uh, asked for it, um, the, the whole fight with the National Archives. I mean, really most of this happened, you know, they moved the boxes a few days before that the search happened and then they moved them back after. A lot of this, really the, the gravamon of the crime happened in Florida. And and I think, in, and I believe what's happening is Jack Smith, because, you know, the grand jury was in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> They put witnesses, 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 and the investigation was there. But then they started to shape the case and write a prosecution memo, right? That's the the document that that all federal prosecutors put together before they bring a case and then they give that to their supervisor. And it gives, you know, these are the facts, this is the evidence, these are the possible defenses, these are the sentences, this is the ranges. It just gives the whole story of the case and um, and the strengths of the case and the weaknesses of the case. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a 
the the um, the Bible of of a case and a defendant, and and so I think Jack Smith, you know wrote this or probably had a working document that was a prosecution memo as it went along. And then it turned into an actual document that was shared with Merrick Garland. And, you know, that's when you sort of get permission, if you will, right? I'm recommending indictment. Now let's talk about what all the issues are. Let's talk about what the defenses are. Let's talk about what the legal issues are of the case. What are the evidentiary issues in the case? And I think in that conversation, venue had to come up as one of the number one questions of where do we bring this case? Now, on the one hand, Jack Smith and prosecutors will have wanted to bring the case in Washington, D.C., because Washington, D.C. federal judges I think they're used to cases involving classified information and classified documents trials involving criminal trials involving classified information and classified documents are very complicated you have to have special hearings there are these laws and rules uh, under sepa cipa the classified information um, procedures act and you know it's something that you have to really you have to balance uh national security with the defendant's rights. And it's a whole complicated process that, uh, that Washington DC courts are used to, uh, are used to dealing with. I don't know if Florida has any experience in that. So, so I think that, you know, that's one reason they would rather have the case be brought in Washington DC. Another reason I think is, you know, Washington DC has a, has a diverse jury pool where, you know, Florida tends to be more conservative conservative and obviously Florida is where Trump lives and, you know, he's very popular down there. So, you know, it's, it's, if you're a prosecutor, you'd rather have the case in DC. And like I said, plus as they were investigating and it really started there, but once you realize that there's um, <clears throat> venue issues with definitely some of the charges and probably some of the defendants and those charges, because we don't even know how many people are going to be charged, right? We, 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 we think and we know, well, we believe that Trump will be uh, charged, but there could be lots of other people charged in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, right? We don't know how many defendants there will be. Well, some of them might have nothing to do with, with DC and only have something to do in Florida. Um, so I, I would say what's happening in, in the fact that, that everybody's saying that the DC grand jury has gone quiet and the Florida grand jury seems to be, um, seems to be hearing witness testimony. I think we can, I think an, a very educated guess is that, uh, at least some, if not all of the charges will be in Florida. I would think that they'd want it in two different places and have two, two, you know, two bites of the apple, if you will. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if the entire case is down in Florida. And just to remind people, you don't need to, the federally, you can put hearsay in the grand jury. So if, even if all the investigation happened uh, it, through testimony under oath in the um, DC grand jury, you could just bring an FBI agent down to read those transcripts in the Florida grand jury and all of that uh, transfers to Florida. So for all we know, that's what's happening and we'll see an indictment come out of there soon. But that's what I think it's looking like more and more. But you know, it also could be as simple as the, the pool guy who we're going to talk about in a minute, you know, who flooded the pool, lied to FBI agents and that's a crime. You know, they call it a 1001 crime. So for all we know, they're just indicting him in Florida and, you know, and, and then they're going to squeeze him to cooperate. So we, we just don't know, but, but that's, I think, where we are vis-a-vis uh, -vis yeah. Florida I, and D.C. Yeah, I, I have a slightly different take. I think it's going to be President Trump for the espionage, former President Trump, for the espionage indictment and obstruction out of the District of Columbia and tried there. I think there's enough territorial and jurisdictional hook for the Washington, D.C., for really almost everything Trump, that he has to, he'll be tried there. I think you're right. There are some really just local crimes, including the 1001 lying to federal agencies, federal officers crime, um, where people like Walt Nauda, maintenance, not the maintenance worker, because he's already kind of, he's already out of the clear. He's cooperating. But Walt Nauda, the butler, valet, whatever he's supposed to be that was moving the boxes and driving him up to Bedminster. I think that's a wholly Florida-based crime. It doesn't really have he doesn't really have the connection. The court doesn't probably have personal jurisdiction over him in Washington D.C. So I think the obstruction type stuff 
for the local henchmen is going to be a Florida case and an indictment. I think the Espionage Act and the things related to the other grand juries for Donald Trump are going to be a Washington, D.C. indictment and trial of Donald of Donald Trump and those that matter. Um, that's the way that, for me, that's the way it, it shakes out between the two things. And we have, for instance, as an example, testifying today is um, – uh, and then we'll talk about your your comment about venue. Is uh, Taylor uh, Budowich, um, who was one of the main spokespeople for Donald Trump, effectively his press secretary, currently has a very big job with his like Save America PAC, and he's been brought in front of the grand jury to testify about when the uh, the original part of the scheme to defraud the National Archive by Donald Trump at the very beginning in early 2022, when Donald Trump and the National Archive figured out that Donald Trump had 15 boxes. Remember how quaint that was when there were just 15 boxes to worry about? And then the National, this is how we got to subpoena and search warrant. Before that, it was the National Archive going through their records and saying, hmm, we're missing uh, these known things. And then Donald Trump turning over finally 15 boxes, the National Archive going through them and saying, holy crap, there's top secret and classified documents in there. What else does that that crazy ex-president have in his in his offices? Then, uh, then subpoena issued by a federal judge. Then when that, when he played games with that, search warrant. But in the beginning, when they got the 15 boxes, there is reporting, and this is what Budowich would have been testifying to, that Donald Trump wanted the message to go to the National Archive, that that's all he had. It's just the 15 boxes, not the 13,000, including 100 top secret classified, just 15 boxes. And so they want to know from him, Budowich, what was the press statement? What was Trump's involvement in it? How did you know what was the basis for you telling the National Archive, which is effectively a lie and misleading them, that there were only 15 boxes? What was going? They're trying to get inside Trump's head from a criminal intent, uh, intent standpoint, and that's where witnesses like this one play such an important role. Because if you follow this from the beginning, what Judge Chief Judge Beryl Howell of the uh, then the Chief Judge of the Circuit Court. Uh, in D.C., who was supervising the grand jury, she's the one that made the decision based on the evidence that it was more likely than not that Donald Trump had committed a crime or fraud with Evan Corcoran in the way he handled the documents, therefore stripping, uh, taking away Trump's attorney-client privilege and his discussions with Evan Corcoran, leading to the audio recording that that Evan Corcoran did, apparently musing into a uh, a recording app, app about his thoughts and hopes and dreams about the case. That got turned over. 50 pages of notes got turned over. But that's where it started. This finding that the judge made that there was a crime committed. And she also said that she saw what he did, Trump, in interacting with the National Archive to be his dress rehearsal for what he did against the Department of Justice and the FBI later. He was trying to see how much he could get away with. And that's where these kind of witnesses come in. And if they're really local and they don't really have a, necessarily a nexus or a hook to D.C., then 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 Jack Smith's like, great, we'll just open up another grand jury. Go ahead. So I think it's going to be indictments that come out of that. But I think the one we're all waiting for, the Donald Trump one for Espionage Act, which looks to be the focus, that the, the retention of national defense information, NDI, whether it's classified or top secret or not, just the fact that it's NDI is enough to convict him for Espionage Act. And I don't see a defense for that because it is or it either is or is not national defense information. He can't magically convert a national defense information document into a grocery list or into his acceptance speech, you know, or a speech at a rally. It is what it is. It is intrinsically what it is. It's not like classified documents where he can try to make an argument, oh, I declassified them. You can't de-national defense information them. And so that is one of their easier cases. And then, of course, the obstruction of all the things he did to, to hold on or retain these things. Yeah, so um, let me just, I just want to- let, let, let me do a shout out to the chat. Lindsay Halligan, 
was the name I was grappling for. And the and the chat let me know the name. And I was like, thank you to the chat. Thank you for telling me that. I could I couldn't grab it quick enough for the podcast. Because yeah, we're we're live live tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> we're live live every night, Karen. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Popak. <laughs> um no, just two things I wanted to say, which is um if you're Jack Smith and anybody else paying attention, I think you really want this case to potentially get prosecuted and go to trial before he is, as soon as possible, right? Because he's going to potentially be the nominee and then he's going to run and he may or may not win. And so you want this done quickly. And so if you bring it in Florida or the vast majority of it in Florida, you take venue off the table. And the reason I would want to do that if I was the prosecutor is because if it's in Washington, whether it survives or not, and I think you're right, it will survive, it's going to be litigated. And then there we've missed our window to try him and that's it. And so I just think that from a timing perspective, you're going to want to eliminate every issue because there is no venue issue with respect to Florida. The other thing I just wanted to say was they also could, uh, they could just do the two venues and rem remember they did that with Manafort. Okay. In Manafort, they charged him in both uh, the Eastern district of Virginia and in DC because of, of these types of issues. And um, so it's been done before. And, um, and there are people who are on Smith's team who was involved in the Manafort prosecution. So they know how to do that obviously too. So we could see it in both places. But if I were Jack, I'd be thinking long and hard about Florida just to get this moving as fast as possible, take as many legal arguments off the table as possible so that we have a chance of actually going to trial, prosecuting and convicting him. Yeah, agreed. And we're going to um, talk about another prosecutor who is hot to prosecute Donald Trump and put him in jail. And that's Fawny Willis in Fulton County, which is Atlanta for those that don't know the area um, in uh, Georgia. And she's got her arms around a multi-tentacled RICO racketeering conspiracy case. And we'll talk about that next. But first, a word from our sponsors. Our next sponsor this week is Highland Titles. At HighlandTitles.com, you can become a Lord or Lady of Glencoe for less than $50. Now, thanks to a quirk in Scottish law, you can buy one square foot of land in Scotland as a gift. Highland Titles has been selling these plots of land for 16 years and have more than over 300,000 happy customers. They use their profits to manage the land as a nature reserve. And the Highland Titles Nature Reserve near Glencoe is one of the most popular nature reserves in Scotland. People travel from all over the world to find their very own plot of land. You get a personalized luxury gift pack and help conserve the beautiful Scottish Highlands at the same time. Now, Highland Titles literally spread ownership of the land amongst thousands of people. It makes it impossible for developers like mm, Donald Trump to turn the landscape into a golf course. It's a really cool gift that makes land ownership a possibility for everyone. You can use the discount code LEGALAF to get 20% off at HighlandTitles.com. With your purchase, you get a fully personalized, instantly available digital download with access to a dashboard where you can check out the webcams and the exact distance you are from your plot at any time. Just head to highlandtitles.com and use code LEGALAF to get 20% off at checkout. How many of you wish there was a better solution to paying off your debt? PDS Debt has customized 0% interest options for anyone struggling with credit cards, personal loans, collections, or medical bills. With rising interest rates and the cost of living at an all-time high, now is the time to finally take initiative with your debt. Stop waiting and start saving with your own custom debt savings options from PDS Debt. PDS Debt is giving our qualified listeners a free debt savings analysis just for completing the 30-second online debt assessment at pdsdebt.com slash legalaf. You'll receive a full breakdown on how to save on interest each month and the quickest way to take care of your debt. If you're making payments every month on your debt and your balances aren't going down, this program is for you. PDS Debt rolls all of your payments into one low 0% interest monthly payment. Everyone with over $10,000 or more in debt qualifies and there's no minimum credit score required. Bad and fair credit accepted. Save thousands in interest and fees and pay off your debt in a fraction of the time. 
PDS Debt is offering free debt analysis to our listeners just for completing the quick and easy debt assessment at www.pdsdebt.com slash legalaf. That's P-D-S-D-E-B-T dot com slash legalaf. Somebody said, fix the focus. It was focused. It was smoky that day when I recorded <laughs> recorded that. Depends. This room has a million windows and it's really hard to get it just right like for this podcast. So anyway, um, I, we do appreciate people looking out for the production values of the show. We're doing the best we can. We really are. Let's talk about Fawny Willis. Good. Wait, you're on mute. Yeah. Now you're not. Now, talk about production value. You're like, right. you press the mute button, Karen. You're the mute button. I know. Now, my favorite one was was when we were recording one one summer and you were sitting outside and it was like, bright and beautiful <laughs> and we just watched the sun go down and it was like <laughs> popak in the dark so there was there was another one where i was in miami at my miami office and it had terrible we, we fixed it but for some reason we had terrible wi-fi i had to go outside in an alleyway alongside the office set up this thing if you guys had seen the contraption that i was sitting at you'd be amazed and and because it was the only place i could get my cell phone to work to do the pod this is talk about we've come a long way baby and then, but of course, it was like whatever time in the afternoon, and literally by the last twenty minutes with Ben, you you could barely see me. Like if I wasn't blinking, I don't think people knew I was. Is Popak after dark? But here we are. Um, so let's talk about the other prosecutor who we who we love. Yeah, exciting who, um, things happening. Who recently made a connection with me on LinkedIn? I was very wow. Bonnie you, Willis accepted my LinkedIn. Uh, invitation. Very and nice. I'm hoping she's a big fan of the show because there's no bigger fans of her than you and me and Ben and what <laughs> she's doing there. Um, I want to, I want to, there's been some speculation. I'll, let me frame it. Then I want to ask you a prosecutor question. So Fonnie Willis is the, the latest news is she's definitely going racketeering influence and corrupt organization act. RICO, um, the Georgia RICO, unlike the federal RICO, is even more robust, more muscular. She probably has at her disposal more powers to connect the dots, combine crimes, combine bad guys in one indictment than probably any other, frankly, any other prosecutor in America. You know, that's how robust and how different and how powerful Georgia legislature gave their prosecutors this particular law. She she can combine state and federal crimes. She can go extraterritorial, which is what she's doing. She's looking at the way we look at it. It's not just Georgia that he wanted to steal the election from. You know, he needed, you know, it's sort of, you know, sort of like, um, you know, one of these Avenger movies. He needed all the jewels. He needed like a number of battleground states. That's why he was doing, you know, Michigan and Arizona and Wisconsin um, and all. He want, he needed them all to go his. He needed to like run that table. And so she's like, Georgia's not by itself. Georgia is one of several places where they this criminal conspiracy was focused right? We were the victim just like these other places. So she's opened up the investigation broader. She's brought in the two consulting firms that Trump paid millions of dollars to, but then hid the results because he didn't like them when he was told point blank by these relatively credible consulting firms. There's no there's no voter fraud in any of the places. I don't know what you guys are talking about in your lawsuits. I mean, this is my artist rendering. There's no voter fraud. There's no dead people voting. There's no multiple voting. There's not a, there's not enough for there's always fraud in the election. There's always a little bit. There's a little bit of fraud. There is. There's always a little bit. But it's in such tiny microscopic numbers, it's never enough to overcome like a seven million popular voter or the winning margin in every battleground state. And so Trump was told this directly, including with Meadows, by the way, by one of the two consulting firms, Berkeley Research, in the White House. And the other one, Simpatico Software, that she's interviewing, um, they gave their results, same thing, no fraud, to the Trump campaign. And yet Trump was out there saying the exact opposite. There's fraud in all of his lawsuits. So that's 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 crime. That's crime mind. And that's what the, that's what she's trying to get to the bottom of. So here's the question for you. Do you, there, there's, there's a little bit of already criticism that she's making the boat too big, that she doesn't need this expansive of a RICO uh, conspiracy in order to win her case. I want to get your view on this because you've put together cases like this. Why do you think she's doing it? And what do you think it does to the strength 
of the ultimate case that she gets out of the indictment and brings to a jury. So there's two kinds of indictments. So don't forget an indictment is a piece of, is literally just a piece of paper and it tells you what your charges are. It, it essentially says, uh, defendant, this is who you are in the county and state of New York or Georgia or wherever, uh, you are charged with the following crimes on the following dates and times. And if you recall, Alvin Bragg's indictment of Donald Trump was a what they call a bare bones indictment. And people were frustrated by it because it was the falsification of business records and it didn't say anything about what the facts were, et cetera. And so he uh, filed a statement of facts to go along with it. And that's where you got a lot of your information. Uh, there's another kind of indictment though that's not a bare bones indictment and that's an indictment that tells a story or a talking indictment and those are typically done in cases that charge either conspiracy or rico those are the two i would say main types of of uh, indictments where you get to tell a story because the crime is all about the story it's not about you know a single act you know i stole a bag of potato chips, you know, you, you were accused of stealing a bag of potato chips from, you know, from the local um, grocery store on this date, you know, that th there's no whole story about who you are and what you do. It's, it's just a one time crime. Whereas these crimes are all about uh, an organization and the RICO, this it's, it's all about an organization with a hierarchy that has the singular purpose or the same purpose to uh, further criminal activity, and and this is what you do and how you do it, and so you by very by its very nature you have to describe it. So I think one of the reasons she likes the racketeering or RICO indictment is it gives her an opportunity to tell a story, and it also gives you an opportunity to when you tell the story to bring in other facts that you might not otherwise be able to bring in. And so that's because you're going to prove these connections and these purposes and these intentions. And so as a result, you get to bring in all of this other information. And really, honestly, there's no way to just talk about Georgia without talking about the whole thing. He, he wasn't just, you know, the whole, he wasn't just saying, find me 11,780 votes. Uh, because he wanted to steal them. It wasn't a theft, right? What was it? It was a it was a nationwide sweeping criminal uh, conspiracy and and um, effort to overthrow the federal election. And he did that in multiple states and he did that in multiple ways. And so it's hard to just tell the one story of the one perfect phone call uh, and, and, and leave it at that because in order to put it in context, it does grow into this much bigger thing. And so I think that's why she is interested in it because I think it really, <clears throat> it really shows that you know this is something you know that she um she can build the sweeping narrative and show this pattern of behavior uh that that donald trump engaged in to overturn the 2020 election you know georgia really is just one piece of this puzzle and you know it's going it's 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 going to be interesting to see what it ultimately looks like um but you know, but Georgia has has is known for having a RICO statute that you know these RICO statutes are state by state, right? So each state legislature passes their own RICO statute that are similar but have its own elements, and the federal government has one too. But but Georgia's RICO RICO state statute is widely uh, known as being one of the most expansive ones in uh, in the country. Um, it allows prosecutors to bring in um, acts or or conduct uh, that occurred in both Georgia and other states. It also specifically, I believe, allows you to um, to build a case where you're violating both state and federal laws. Don't forget, again, just to, by comparison, another another uh, 
challenge or criticism to the Alvin Bragg case is can you use the federal election, the federal election laws as the the bump up to to the falsifying a business record. You know, people say it's a state crime. You can't use a federal crime to make it a felony. Well, here, the Georgia statute specifically allows that. So that's very expansive. It also uh, allows for up to 20 years in prison. You know, that's a really serious crime. And I think it'll just be very interesting if she can prove, you know, the elements. But, and, and basically to do it, she's going to have to show that there were two criminal acts that occurred, uh, it, you know, that are, are designated crimes. You know, again, it can't be low level. It has to be certain crimes that will be designated in the Georgia RICO statute. And there have to be two of them. And ha there has to be a pattern of behavior that was done <clears throat> with the same intent to achieve a common result. And so I think she'll be able to, to prove that given what we know, but boy, is she taking on a lot. This is a big case. Uh, part of me wonders why is she going to do it? Why is she taking on, you know, she's got this, you know, the perfect phone call. I'd say it's perfect for a different reason. It's, it's a perfect isolated um, crime that she could prove. But on the other hand, don't forget, um, if if a Republican wins the presidency, even if a Democrat uh, wins, you know, to let the country heal and move along the way they did with Richard Nixon, Trump can be pardoned federally uh, for federal for federal convictions and federal crimes, but he can't be pardoned for state court ones. So I do think it 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 is important if she can bring it to bring it. I do think it's going to be a big, huge case, and it's it's going to be very complicated to to do, but. It's a complicated crime, and I think she's up for the task. She's used the RICO statute before in in novel ways. I mean, she she's known for for you know it was it, RICO was passed as an organized crime mafia type you know statute to show these criminal enterprises essentially right these criminal organizations with hierarchies and and structures, and uh, and prosecutors over the years have have uh, used these crimes. The, the I'm sorry this 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 crime, yeah, this charge in other types of crime. And she, she is known for that in Georgia where she has applied it in other areas. So if there's anyone who's, who's smart enough to do it and who knows how to do it, it's her. But I think she got into a situation where the investigation just kept going and going and going and going. And, you know, that's what the case is. So it'll be very interesting to see, but it's not going to be a bare bones indictment. She will tell a story and we will have a lot of information. Yeah, that's the greatest thing about Rico anywhere. She, she'll have pages and pages of narrative that where she gets to just tie it all together. And in any Rico conspiracy, you are, in, when you're indicted, you are as guilty as the next person for the crimes committed by the others in the co-conspiracy, even if you didn't do it. You might have hijacked the car. That guy might have burned down the building but the carjacker is responsible for the burning building and vice versa. And so she'll have all of these crimes and she'll be able to put it on thinking about, as we all do, pro as trial lawyers, projecting into the courtroom about how this plays out in front of the future jury. You know, even the little smallest cog in that, in that giant machine is going to get crushed by the indictment because <clears throat> Giuliani's going to be responsible for the, for the perfect phone call. And, Donald Trump's going to be responsible, as he should be, for all of the fake lawsuits and the and the pressure on the legislators and the and the Georgia Republican Party officials that aren't cooperating with Fawny Willis. They're like like David Schaefer, the head of the Republican Party. There, he's going to go down for everything that Donald Trump did, and that's the beauty of the conspiracy. It gives, as you know, as the prosecutor, it gives just tremendous runway and leeway to present your case and to tie together all of these disparate things. And just the one last note for those that are worried, Karen's so right about federal part and federal case. Some people might be thinking, oh crap, because Georgia is red. We thought it was purple. I actually thought it was going blue, but it looks kind of red at the governor level. But this is, this is a very interesting side note. Because Georgia had a number of corrupt governors, surprise, uh, they took away from the governor, which most governors have, the right to issue pardons. So you can't lobby the governor for a pardon. It comes through a committee. And the committee, which is kind of made up of blue and red and purple, 
makes the ultimate decisions about pardons in Georgia. So some people might think, well, it won't matter because it'll be, you know, it could be a Republican in in the, in, in the governor's in the uh, governor's house. But uh, no, this could this could really stick. Just like the ones in New York, we don't have to worry about the governors there because they do make the decisions on pardons, and they're not pardoning the Democratic governors. They're not pardoning Donald Trump. So look, we're going to follow Fawny Willis. We just just to keep let's just keep the I don't have the Popak Porter board tonight, but let's just keep it straight. We've got one indictment already. Alvin Bragg. Karen's old office, Manhattan DA, for Stormy Daniels cover up hush money. But we all expect he's going to expand that into other. Now that he broke the ice, he gets the credit, broke the ceiling. It can be done, other prosecutors. We can indict Donald Trump and arraign him. Um, and so he's he's fighting his war there. And then he'll expand that, we believe, with a separate indictment on other crimes, bigger crimes, now that he's starting to get some cooperation, hopefully, from people like Al, Alan Weisselberg, the longtime CFO. While Jack Smith, you know, we said it was going to be this week, maybe because of the Florida indictment, uh, grand jury issues, maybe the Mar-a-Lago thing rolls into next. But it's a June event. I think, I think just to keep, if you're keeping the calendar at home, I think that it's, uh, June for Jack for Jack Smith, at least on Mar-a-Lago. If he gets Mark Meadows, which the reporting is he has, it could speed up some other indictments there as well that are, that are up against Donald Trump in the District of Columbia. And then July slash August is Fonnie Willis in Fulton County. By the time this guy hits the uh, primary season, if he ever gets there in... 2024, he has a trial, a criminal trial in March of 2024 in New York already set. He's got these indictments, probably three in number, if not more. And this is this is your candidate, ladies and gentlemen. Of the and Republican don't forget, Party. he's also in October. He has the Trump Organization uh, yeah. Attorney General trial. I mean, he's going to be where he's going to be bank where he's going to be bankrupted. Yeah. Again. He's been bankrupted three times before that. He's the only man, he's the only person in the history of America that lost money running a casino. Um, that's how great of a businessman he was. He couldn't find a way to make money in a casino. Think about that. <laughs> next, next, time, next time somebody says he's a great businessman, we need him in, back in the Oval Office. So we, we need to follow these things at the intersection of law and politics because I think we do it in a way that others aren't doing it. And certainly the people in our audience who are here tonight in large numbers we hit 15,000 at some point. I think Salty told told us that we were the number three YouTube live show. I know people think it's like, oh, well, it's all that self-aggrandizement. No, we're just, we're happy that we're providing something and we're with a community that we enjoy and that enjoys us and that we're just happy about that. So um, that's where we are. We've reached the end of another midweek edition of Legal AF with Karen Friedman Ignifolo and Michael Popak. People ask us all the time, how can we help this growing network because you can only find it on the Midas Touch network, and there's and it's all free. It's all free. You just yeah, the sponsors are great. We love our sponsors. They support the show, keep the show on the air, so to speak. But the other way that we can be supported is all free. You subscribe for free to the Midas Touch network on YouTube, which is where we put all the hot content. We put this show. We put all the hot takes. We put all the other podcasts for the Midas Touch network to lights on, to, to uh, political beat down, to all of that. And all the other content creators that are on the, only on the Midas Touch Network, like Texas Paul, who's in our chat today and has appeared, people like that. That, you go to the Midas Touch Network, subscribe on YouTube. But the audio version of what we do is really important to us as well to keep us kind of at the top of the charts and keep, and keep us credible and keep us viable. And so that is wherever you can get your podcast from. That's Apple Pod, Google, Spotify, um, Heart Ra- iHeartRadio, all sorts of places. And you just put in Legal AF and, and do it both ways. If you liked what you watched, we did a lot today, a lot of earworms, as people like to say, go listen to us. And that helps with the algorithm and helps the network overall. And then we've got a store. You ready? You ready, Salty? My- <laughs> we got the Midas Touch store which we're refreshing under Karen's leadership um, with T-shirts and coffee mugs and different things that you'll be seeing over the summer. And that's another way to show your support for the show. And 
and that's it. And then just continue to, to comment and thumbs up what we do. And we take it to heart. We make changes on the fly. We're very into quality control and trying to bring you what you want. Um, and that's the way you can communicate with us and and through our own social media. Both Karen and I are active on our social media. I'm You can find me at, at MS Popak there. Thank you, Salty. And Karen, we'll put her back on the back on the screen with her, with her KFA legal at KFA legal. And it's another place that you can, I mean, we, we're not just known for it. We regularly communicate with the audience. there. happy to do it. Um, and so that's it. So we are going to have a Saturday show as always with, uh, with Ben by Micellus and then back next week on a Wednesday. Hopefully the air is cleared over all of America and Canada and North America, and we can breathe easy again, knowing that Donald Trump is just this much closer to being indicted and going to jail. Karen, last words. So I've been hearing a lot of frenzy. People are, are saying that the indictment's coming tomorrow. You know, I, I don't know. I hope I hope it's true, but I, I we'll see. I you know, you just you just a lot of chatter, a lot of chatter. Uh, but before we go, um, I think Salty found some old photos of Popak <laughs> descending oh, into darkness. Oh Lord. <laughs> this is us. This is us doing that's <laughs> that's Popak descending into darkness during during the podcast so wow i, I yeah. wow that is <laughs> that was embarrassing <laughs> I, mean, I mean who was that who was that guy you know yuck it, i think it's it shows it's it's authentic we're authentic right <laughs> we are man like you said to me recently or you were texting in our in our chain to prepare for the show you're like i got my don't let anything happen this week I, i'm traveling i got my mic though i'll, I'll jump on and you and you sure. how many times have you done shows for either cnn where you're you're a regular or with us where you of course are a founder um and done it from the back of a moving car at a high yeah. speed yeah. yeah i mean you just got to do it where you got you know it's more important i think to you know get the information out quickly and um and do your podcast than you know whether or not your hair is done or you have yeah perfect lighting or whatever i mean ben so. ben, ben does it in increasingly smaller hotel rooms Every oh. time, every time we see Ben, if he's on the road, the room gets smaller and smaller. But he, but he, Matt, I mean, there is nobody. We once had a thing where during the show, this is early on, so most people weren't even there. I'll just tell this last story. Ben's internet went out in his house. He ran in his, he drove in his car to a local bagel shop, set up outside, and we finished the recording. You know. I love yeah. that though. It just shows, you know, it's I, anyway, it's, but I, I just want to say one last thing, which is I'm traveling again tomorrow night. And I was thinking of, of changing my flight because of this chatter <laughs> of this indictment tomorrow. But you know, if I change my flight, it'll never happen. But of course right. I didn't change my flight, which makes me think maybe it could happen. So I don't know. I'll leave you at that with my, you know. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll promise this to the audience on the way out. When something momentous happens, you can be assured that Karen, some combination of Karen, me, and Ben are going to jump on a hot take, are going to jump on a live feed on the Midas Touch Network and bring it to you. We're not going to abandon you because it's important to us. So until, until we meet again, which could be any hour now <laughs> at the pace of these prosecutions, Karen Friedman, Nick Michael Popak, shout out to the Midas Mighty and the Legal AFers and see you next week.